0: Go, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, the 11th chapter, and beginning at verse 1. Verse 1 and 2. Seems like a strange place to go for uh, Memorial Day, but it's, it, it isn't in the fact that Nehemiah was a great military-slash-builder. But I don't even really want to talk about Nehemiah. I'm going to pull out a part of Scripture that's kind of vague, and a lot of times we don't even think about it. Because Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, is known for the fact that he went and rebuilt the wall. Ezra had gone earlier than Nehemiah. The book of Ezra in your Old Testament is describing Ezra going back and being sent earlier with a, with a group of people. And they settle in the land and they rebuild the temple them and, and a few other leaders rebuild the temple. Now, it it doesn't look like Solomon's temple. It's never gonna go back, but they had rebuilt the temple and done as good as they could and it was, it was, it was created. The problem was, is that there was no protection. You just kinda had this church sitting out in the middle of this rubble and sitting out in the middle of this land, and it was, it was no way to be protected if any enemy had come. It, it, there was no wall. There was no fortress. So when Nehemiah, the Bible says that Nehemiah begins with him hearing the word from people coming back, and he asks them, well, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's happening. And they explain to him, well, the temple is being built. Everything is, but, but the problem is, Nehemiah, there's no wall. There's, no, there, there's wild animals that just walk. And, and when he heard about it, the Bible says it broke his heart. It, it put a burden on him, so much so that his countenance had changed. Now, Nehemiah had a good job. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He, he stood right there beside the king. He had, he, had a, he had a good job. So much so that it was providence. It was, it was meant to be, because the Bible says that after a certain number of days, the king asked Nehemiah, he said, what's wrong, Nehemiah? What, what's wrong with you? And he said, well, I'm fine. No, you're count, you're, something's wrong, Nehemiah. They, they weren't just, he didn't just work for him. They were friends. He respected Nehemiah. And Nehemiah breaks down and says, how can I enjoy all that I have when my people back home don't even have a wall, don't even have anything to protect them? They're, they're just living out. And he said, it breaks my heart. And the king, of course, he's kind of like rich. He writes the papers and sends and says, Hey, whatever you need, go buy this forest and get all the lumber you need. Go buy this and get any craftsman, whatever you need. You, you get, look, I'm giving you a, a check and I'm not even making out the amount. You go and fix what needs to be fixed, Nehemiah, and when you get through, you can come back. He said, but I want to make sure that, that that's taken care of. That's important to you, and I want, so God is moving in this. But in all of these things, you you see God moving and stuff, and you think, man, that's awesome. It's it's great what God has done. But somewhere along the line of what God is doing, there has to be a great sacrifice. There has to be a great sacrifice. Not just Nehemiah who's going to build the wall and go back. Not just the others who are going to work. But go with me to chapter 11 and, and verse 1 and 2. And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. And the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of the tenth to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. And the nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. I want to speak to you today about being unknown. Being unknown. Of all the things that I, I love to do is is uh when I get to go to gravesides or I get to go to different places when I travel, I love uh even if I go to New Orleans, I love to see the the, the funeral. In fact, if you get on the trolley system in New Orleans, one of the main things that you're going to see when they make the loop at the trolley and carry you through is The old cemetery, that's kind of like the big, one of the big stops. You would think in New Orleans, why in the world would you, but that is an incredible place to see all those old sepulchres, to see all those beautiful designs and all those buildings. You could spend hours walking through there and seeing all of that. It's, it's incredible. And then I think about people in the military and I think about people that over time that I've had a chance to travel and, and read stories about. I haven't been everywhere in France and I haven't been to other places. And, and But just to think that there are many people who go and travel through war and travel into other countries and many times are killed there. And when they died there, many times in, in times past, their bodies during World War I and 2 weren't shipped back all the time. Many times the, the, the graves are right there in France. They're right there in They're right there in different places where later their families can travel to those countries. I've watched documentaries of families going overseas and seeing the gravesides of family members and others that, that they had passed away that died on that soil. And, and, and basically to everybody else, they're unknown. And then I think of how we celebrate that each year. How we have the president or we have someone come with a reef and they put it on the grave of the unknown soldier to represent all of those people that gave the ultimate sacrifice, that gave everything that they had, And that nobody may ever know their name, nobody may ever know everything about them or may not understand all that they did or where they died, but we we at one moment as a country, one moment as a people decide we're going to celebrate every person that made it possible for us to be where we are today, that made it possible for the world to be at peace the way it is today, for everything that's happening. And so that becomes an incredible moment in our lives when we begin to to see how God uh, did that and has allowed, and as a country, we look at that and we're in awe of people that make that sacrifice. My grandfathers were in the world wars, and my grandfather lot when he came back from Germany, and 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 he, his feet were never the same. A lot of cold weather there, and that was way before Under Armour was ever created and, and all the other stuff. It was just, you tried to keep your feet dry. You tried to do your very best. And in those wool socks, you sweat and then they get wet and, and you can imagine the frostbite and different things. And his feet were never the same. My dad used to talk about how his dad would tell him stories and he would sit there and crack pecans because my grandfather's feet were no good. And he would crack pecans for him and, and, and as he would tell the stories and, and I thought, wow. What an incredible moment. Somebody who was willing to sacrifice it, nobody would ever know. No one would ever spend a lot of time, but that somebody gave that kind of sacrifice so that today we would have freedom. Now, go with me in your Bibles because there's something I want you to realize about this story that's unique. Go back with me, and let's go to chapter 7, if you will. I want you to go to chapter 7. As we get there, I want you to understand this first. Is that faithful soldiers of God are often forgotten. There are many times in our lives where, where faithful people of God are often forgotten. It's one of the hard parts of ministry. It's one of the hard parts of doing anything. It's the hard parts of being a dad, of being a mom. You, you as a mom you can you can give and give and wire clothes or wash dishes or make sure they've got their stuff and then they still look at you like as a dad, you can bring home a check, put clothes on their back along with mom working and everybody else, and we do everything and and, and give them all we can and then and then you just come give me a hug oh hug. It's amazing how many times, whether it's a dad, a mom, a soldier, or whatever you are in life, it's amazing how many times it is one of the most forgotten things because even the disciples struggled with this, with Jesus. The, the whole thing about following Jesus for them was, we won't just be nobodies. We, we won't just be forgotten. We won't just be put to the side. We're going to build temples. Can I sit on your left and sit on your right? And your ke- it was all about the entourage and all, and that's what kept them excited about it. And and what discouraged them was whenever Jesus talked about I'm leaving, or, or or I'm not going to be here, or it's not going to be like you think. They didn't love me. They're not going to love you. That's not what I want to hear. I don't want to hear about being forgotten. I want to hear about how I'm going to be remembered. I want to hear about how how uh, I'm going to be be talked about. I want to hear about all the good things. It was a glorious time. Listen, during Jerusalem's history, this is an incredible time. You've got the books of Nehemiah. You've got the books of Ezra. But understand, they never did this alone. They never did it alone. In Nehemiah 11, we find a long list of people's names. If you, if you read chapter 11, in fact, through 10 and 11 and different parts of Nehemiah, you'll just see these litanies of names, names, names. You can't even pronounce half of them, and I can't. I wish everybody was Bill and Bob and, and Sue, and, but it's not. It's, it's These names, some of them Perez, and, and that's the easy ones, and there's, there's, there's some that you can't even hardly seemingly pronounce. Even if you do, you get it wrong. I just kind of, a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible and get to sections like this, I just go in Bill and Earl and Bob and Joe, and, and I just kind of fly through it. I'll be honest with you. There's no sense in getting all frustrated. When I teach people to read the Bible, this is always the most difficult part. We do pretty good as we go through Genesis and Exodus, and we got the stories, and we get to Kings, and man, it's all cool, and, 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 and we make and get through Psalms and get through. But usually as they start to get to the prophets, and they start to get into all those names and the gene I'll hear people say, Pastor Lot, I got to right there, and it's just like I bogged down. And I understand. Because a lot of these names nobody will ever preach about, nobody will, will ever know, nobody will ever... But when you go through this 11th chapter, even though you can't pronounce these names, these were the people of the times that created and helped Jerusalem move forward. Now, go with me to chapter 7, as I said. And let's, let's look at this a little closer. In chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed. Now, this is the part where Nehemiah, we always remember, you know, Nehemiah built the wall. Nehemiah built it, and Nehemiah set it up, and, and, and Ezra had the priests and had everybody ready to have church service. And listen to what he says in verse 2. And I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace. Hold on. Charge over Jerusalem. Hold on. I thought the book was Nehemiah. I thought we called, you know, this is all about Nehemiah doing stuff and Nehemiah. But listen to what he says. He says, when I got to this point, when when I had helped build when I'd help do this with everybody else's help. Then I looked at my brother, Hannah, and I said, you are in charge of this entire city. And I looked at the one who was over the military, Hananiah, and I looked at him and I said, you guys are in charge. You, you are in charge of everything that's going on. Now, anybody know those names? In fact, there's nowhere else in the Bible you will ever hear those names mentioned. But these two men were not just nobodies. They were the actual root. If you would have come into Jerusalem at that time and you would said, let me talk to the person in charge, they wouldn't have carried you to Nehemiah. They would have carried you to Hanaya. And yet he's totally unknown and yet totally going through all of this and, and yet we, we totally dismiss and forget that these were people that were in that time. And I gave my brother Hananiah and and Hananiah, the rulers of the palace, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God above many. Nehemiah's not trying to ignore him. Nehemiah's trying to in this short moment. Say, I know that there's a lot of stuff that you see. I know there's a lot of stuff done, but listen to me. There are people that will never get credit. There are people that will never be applauded. There's people that... Probably their names will never be mentioned again. But these are the real warriors. These were the real people. These were the people that made it work. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watchers of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Every one in his watch and every one to be over against the house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not built." So all of a sudden, he says, look, I'm putting you in charge. I've got you in charge of the city. Only one problem. It's not much of a city. It's not much of a city. We've got a temple right in the middle. We've got a few priests. We've got a few singers we got a few people that live kind of in this area, but we really don't have a city. We've built this city, but we don't really have a city. We've built this place, but there's really no people in it. Now, that seems kind of strange that you would build a a place like this, and yet it was never any people really living in it. There was really nobody ever really in it. Listen to me. In Nehemiah 2, 1 1 and 2, the wall had been built. Everything had been established. Everything had been done but there just wasn't anybody to protect. Hananiah and Hananiah had been put over something, but the problem was there was nothing to be in charge of yet. In Nehemiah 4, it tells us how the large city, beautiful, built walls, temple, but no people. Why is that important, Brother Locke? Why why is it so important? Why would you go to all this work to build the temple? Why would you go to all this work to build the wall? Why would you go to all this effort if there's no people? Why would you go to all this effort to do what you, you've done? First of all, building the house of Jerusalem was hard work. It had been completely destroyed. Remember we preached about Nebuchadnezzar who had completely destroyed it, tore it down to nothing. It was nothing left but rubble. He burned the rocks. I mean, this was this city was utterly destroyed and it took a lot of hard work to rebuild a temple and it took a lot of hard work to rebuild a wall. Secondly, they didn't feel safe in Jerusalem. Even though they had built this, they, they didn't feel safe. There was no safe place for them. All during this hundred and something years that now it's been laying there. Everybody else has done moved on. But yet God still has a plan. And the plan is for Jerusalem. So in the middle of all of this, in the middle of all of this problems, and in the middle of all these situations, I want you to see what God does and what great people do. Go back with me to chapter 11. And let's go back to verse 1 and 2. This is Memorial Day, and and I I need to set this, Veterans Day, and I I need to set this up for you. I need to establish this for you. I need to be able to, on this day, be able to get this lined out. Because when we talk about people who make ultimate sacrifice, veterans and, and, and people of our country, listen to me very carefully. There are two types of people that come in this category. And both of them are powerful, but both of them are different. I want you to know what it says. And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. And the rest of the people also cast lots. To bring What? to bring one of the tenth to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and the nine parts of the people to dwell in other cities. Here's the first thing. Anybody ever heard of a draft? Some of, some of the veterans that, that, are, that, that are veterans, they were drafted. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that they had just, quote, signed up for. And, and, and it's not to diminish that. It's just the fact that there was a letter sent, and the letter said, hey, you have been fortunately picked to be part of this wonderful army that we call the United States. And so there are many people that that we've read about who run from the draft and, and avoided the draft and went to different countries to try to avoid all this. But there was a group of people in our past, even in our history, who during times of war and during times of difficulty received a letter. And when they received that letter, it says, We need you we have picked you you have been chosen out of the people of the united states you have been chosen to go serve your country to go serve and there was a group among these people listen They had this wall, and they had this temple, and they had this partial city, but they didn't have any people. But God's plan was for Jerusalem. God's plan was for the city. God's plan was to one day have Jesus walk through Jerusalem, was one day to have Jesus die in Jerusalem. And so there had to be a Jerusalem. And so they decided every tenth family... Would leave everything that they have. Think about this now. They've already become farmers. They've already built houses. They already have land. They already have a living. And they're told today, I want you to sell everything you got. I want you to liquidate everything you got. I want you to pack up from the farm everything that you have, and I want you to move back into the city. Because the city is important. Because the city is part of God's plan. And there was a draft that was taking place there. And we don't have all the names. We don't even know who all they were. But we know that there was people who had their own lives, that had their own living, that had their own futures, that had their own yards, that had, and they gave up everything that they had to move back to a city that they believed that their master and savior one day was coming to. Do you understand now why Jerusalem is so important to the Israelis? Do you understand why that, that city is so important even today after all these years? Why, why that city, uh, even when, when we had the turmoil here the last little bit, when uh, Donald Trump, the president, decided we're going to move our embassy back to Jerusalem, the capital. Now is, is Jerusalem the capital of Israel? No, Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is is But if you ask anybody there, where is the capital? Jerusalem. Why? Because even till today every Jewish person is waiting for their Messiah to come. And the only reason there's a city there today is because in the time of Nehemiah when there was no wall and there was no buildings and there was no church and there was none of that, there was a group of people that sold everything and left everything that they had and made an ultimate sacrifice and said we will move back to the city. Not because it's better, not because it's, it's more beautiful, not because it's got more land, not because, but because the purpose is bigger than us. Because the purpose is bigger than us. Can you imagine that? If I told you today, look, we're going we're to build some apartments all along the side here. We're going to have about 100 apartments all along the side here of, of the building. Because our ultimate goal today is to win as many souls as we can before we die, Right? That's our goal, to win as many souls. And so here's what I want everybody to do. I want you to sell everything you got, and we're going to all move into these apartments, and we're going to use all the money that we take from that, and we're going to go use it to win people for the kingdom of God until the day we die. Who wants to sign up first? You ready to sell your house? You ready to sell everything you got? And you can't bring all your pictures and stuff because it'll be a lot smaller. You know, you, you, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to liquidate. You only, you only get one parking lot spot, so you only get one car. You only get, you have to sell everything you got, and you got to move back. And we're all going to get committed because really the most important thing in life is to win souls. And so we're going to get serious about that. That's what they were doing. They sold everything, gave up everything, and these people were drafted. They didn't sign up for it. They were picked. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You're it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You're it. And when they pointed at you and said you were it, you were number 10. Okay. Hun? It's time. there was a second group that was part of this the bible says and the rulers of the people dwelt at jerusalem and the rest of the people also cast lots there was also a group of people that decided on their own they weren't drafted but they decided on their own that we are going to be leaders and we're going to be the people that are going to lead the way of leaving what we've got, of of moving from where we've moved, and we're going to be the leaders of being the people that go first. And they signed up. So you have two groups of people that are there that day. You've got two groups of people that gave up everything that they had to do this. We see this in their story. We see this in... In Jerusalem, we see this, and we see this in our country. In our country, we see people in two ways. In our church, we've had several different people who have decided, I'm going to sign up. We've got some in the Marines now. We've got some in the Navy now. We've got some signing up for all different branches and some that have come back from serving. It is incredible to watch people who choose, you know what? I'm going to serve. And I hope that we will never be in a war in such a way that there will ever have to be a draft again. But if there is, there's going to be letters sent. And people are going to have to, it probably won't be letters, it'll be emails by then. You'll get an email. But you'll be told Your country needs you. It also works this way in the church. Of all the places it it can work, it it also works this way in the house of God. There are two types of people in here. There are the people that choose. There are people that choose. Those are the fun ones, Sam. Sam. We just got stuff going on. They come up to me, hey, what what can I do? I want to be part of what all season. I, I want to be. Can I can I help? Can I work? Can I? Because in their mind, they they've decided that I want to be a part of the kingdom. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I'm signing up. And then there's another group that sometimes we have to draft. Look at the person beside you and say, were you drafted or did you choose? We find out that you have some gifts or some talents. We find out you can do something and we're like, hey, we need some help right here. Oh, pastor, I just, look, I need your help. And so a church also operates because ultimately I'm not going to build buildings out here on the side. It's the thought though, I have thought about it. And all of us sell everything we got and we just live in these little apartments together and we just, we just use the money to win God people to the kingdom. That would be fun. But I'm not asking you to do that. But I am saying that a church, just like a country, just like Jerusalem, it only operates as strongly as you have people that can accept a draft and as strongly as you can accept people who will choose. And that's what veterans do. Veterans are those people that we look at that have gone to war, that have gone to battle, that have made sacrifices, and we look at them on Veterans Day and we say, wow, you chose to make our lives better. You chose to make our world better. You made sacrifices that most of us would either have to be forced or many times we just don't even, even want to think about. And there's people in churches that do that. When I go to different places and talk about churches, do you know what most of the time, 99% of the time, what pastors are asking me? How do you get your people to do stuff? That's 99% of the questions. How do you get your people to do stuff? And I think to myself, I really don't do anything. There's nothing really that I can personally do. Go with me to Matthew one more place. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Matthew 20, 25 through 38. But Jesus called them unto him and said, "Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they are great exercise authority upon them but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is considered the highest example that we have. And there's two things that Jesus shared with us. He says, number one, your service to God may not be greeted with thunderous applause. Your service to God may not ever be recognized. It may not be remembered. Your name may not go down in any books. There may not be any pews that has your name on it. It may not have any building that has your name on it. It may not be, but understand that God will never forget not one person that's been in the service. We may have veterans all over. We may have veterans from different veterans you don't even know. But can I tell you something? None of them are forgotten. And in the kingdom of God, none of them today are forgotten. Number two, you're going to have to remember that our rewards are not dependent upon our applause Today, for all our veterans, for all of those that have served, for all of those that are great men and women throughout this country, you will get applause today. I hope that you are are greeted. I hope that you get a discount at where you eat. I hope that any way and every way people can be good to you. I hope they are, but listen to me. That applause and that will never pay the price and never... Be able to explain all that you have given and all that you have done. Jesus was telling his disciples listen to me. Nobody will ever probably remember and nobody will ever know. I guess the best way to explain it is this Where do you park when you come to church? Where do you park? Most people, most people are excited because they find the very best parking place. They're excited because, ooh, look at it, get right up here in the front. The greatest among you will always be your greatest what? Another thing my uncle taught me many years ago, he said, when you go and park, you always choose the worst place in the building for twenty something years if you find my car where will you find it in the far back in the back corner in the grass I walk further than anybody else to get to the building the greatest among you will be your greatest because if there's one person who has a kid and they need a good parking place, why in the world would I not want them to have that? When I can walk. See, it's a mindset of serving. You may never get applauded for it. You may never get patted on the back for it. But just remember, somebody always knows. That's why our church, our country... Is blessed. Let me say it this way. You, in this room, are part of God's great army. You get to decide every single day how great the kingdom of God is going to be in the world. You get to decide, every one of you, what kind of mark God's going to make. Not just by where we park, but by how we treat people, how we act. Jesus gave us all the examples. He said, when you walk into a room and, and you walk in to sit down, where are you supposed to sit? In the back. Why? Because if you try to sit up front and more honorable people come in and they have to come to you and say, look, we hate to embarrass you, but you need to move. We've got somebody else that's supposed to sit here. That's not going to look good. But it's so much better if you just sit in the back. And then somebody comes to you and pats you on the back. Brother Lot, what are you doing back here? Well, I'm just, I'm just, come up here and sit. Now that's honorable because somebody's going to walk you up front. And, and, and it's all in about having a mindset of serve. And today what we celebrate is serving. In fact, for some of you, when you go eat today, there are people that have worked all week to prepare to serve you. When, when, you, when you go through all that you do it, the most exciting time to me of the Thanksgiving dinner is, is two parts. Eating is number one. And the second part is when we put up the tables. I know it sounds crazy, but of all the f- whenever we do functions, the most exciting part of doing the functions to me is when we put up the tables. Because it's the people in the kitchen that's washing. It's it's the people that's putting up, and we're all laughing, and we're having fun, and we're just joking, and we're just and and you got kids, some of the kids are are helping with the tables, and we're we're showing them how to put them up, and we're showing and, and you think, what is that? The greatest joy you'll ever find in your life is when you serve. The greatest joy you'll ever find in your life is when you learn and realize I was born to serve. And just watch and see if people don't recognize you and applaud you. Your misery will come when it feels like all the time people don't recognize me. People don't treat me well. People aren't doing enough for me. People, that's a miserable life. But today God's called us to serve and to be thankful that we get a chance to do it. Will you stand? I want to tell every person in here who volunteers, who ushers and does greeting, and cleaning. There's just so many things. For some of you that work in ministries where you help people and we've got projects that go on and you show up and help with projects and you do, I want to say this morning, thank you. Because listen to me, nobody may ever scream your name and nobody may ever know all that you do. Nobody may ever applaud you, or but just know from this pulpit, I realize each day of my life how lucky I am to get to work with such great people. How lucky I am to get to do life with such great people. And it makes the journey a whole lot more fun when I get to serve alongside you. There's times we're going to cry and there's times we're going to laugh, but we're going to keep serving. Some of our buddies and friends and moms and dads have already served and gone on before us. It's our job now to keep serving, to keep teaching until our time. And just wanted you to know, I know this morning I'm not preaching no powerful message. I'm just talking from my heart today. I just want to say thank you for serving together. Thank you for being a part of my family. Maybe somebody says, well, you're the Nehemiah. Yeah, but I don't even rule the city. I just sometimes get applauded for stuff that I don't even get to do. (laughs) But I'm thankful that I'm blessed to have such great friends. You're a vital part of the body of Christ. You're a vital part of all that God's doing in this area and in the world we're touching. Thank you. Will you bow your heads? Father, God, this morning, this is all You've given me. It's all I have. I don't have a great sermon this morning. I just want each person in here to realize that maybe in their life, God, nobody even knows what I do. Nobody cares what I do. It doesn't seem like it makes a difference. My family doesn't seem like it helps them. It doesn't seem my husband, my wife, my father for just a moment. Let them realize that somebody cares. That maybe nobody in the world knows their name and nobody else is keeping record and nobody else is going to applaud them. But God, right now, let them know in their heart that my Father applauds me. Just like Jesus told His disciples, look, you're going to be killed, you're going to be tortured, you're going to go through a lot of stuff, but just know this, I'll be with you all the way. Like Hebrews says, there's a great cloud of witnesses that's rooting us on, that watches us. We may not think anybody knows and nobody cares. But God, today, today as we serve, today as we give, today as we love, it is being remembered. And it will never, not throughout all eternity, it will never be forgotten. Everything that we've done,